Episode 38, Cure for Cancer Cocktail. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a September 26, 2007 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. know the cure for cancer has already been found? At least that's what one Missouri-based doctor claimed at the turn of the century. Join Assistant Museum Director Rebecca Martin as she examines a sign that once hung from a sketchy cancer clinic in Kansas City. Patients heavily promoted its treatment. The only problem was that within a year, those patients were dead. Later, we explore the connection between newspaper editor William Allen White and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Oddly enough, the connection has something to do with a four-poster bed in Emporia, Kansas. We'll answer all your questions when we play another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White, Election 2008. But first, Cure for Cancer Cocktail. I'd send the pain I'd send the pain below, much like suffocating. Good afternoon, Rebecca. Hi, Merle. Today we are going to talk about a um, on a sign that you actually wrote about for your cool things. It's a large black triangular shaped um, metal sign, metal. I believe, with uh-huh. wood trim, mm-hmm. and on the sign it says Better Health Association Ozias Clinic. Uh, where did this sign come from, and what is Ozias? Um, the sign came from, well, and really, you know, sign in itself doesn't sound like it would be a cool thing, but the story behind the sign is really cool. And to, to explain that gets pretty complicated and also has to do with this family, Ozias. So that's um, a family name, Ozias. That's a family name, yeah. The Ozias Clinic, yeah, uh, was operated actually by a father and a daughter. Um, Charles Othello Ozias was the father who founded the clinic. Um, He actually had come, he lived in a little town southeast of Kansas City, Missouri called Warrensburg, and he practiced there as a physician for about 20 years and uh, decided that he had come across a cure for cancer. And he moved wow. his, yeah, uh-huh. A cure for cancer. Yes, and apparently in those days you could decide that you were you were right in determining what the cure was. Um, and to bring the cure to more people, he moved to Kansas City, Missouri, and opened up a clinic there, and eventually was joined by his daughter. So together they operated the Ozias Clinic. Um, they focused mainly on stomach ailments, especially stomach cancer, um, but they also kind of got into all sorts of different ailments, chronic um, diseases that they claimed they could cure by their through their methods. For modern doctors, uh, the required schooling is usually four years of college, four years of medical school. Um, how long did this Mr. Ozias, how long was he in medical school? When Charles Ozias was in medical school, this was in the 1890s, um, he went to the Kansas City Medical College, which was an accredited school, for two terms. Two terms. Two, and the terms weren't like our years nowadays because from what I could tell the term started in September and went to early March okay. so he, yeah, he wasn't in school for very long but he was able to get a license by the standards uh, of that day now it's very strict comparatively 
I mean, if you compared him to other doctors of that time period, he was fairly normal then oh, for yeah. the amount of time he went to school. Definitely, yeah. Not at all abnormal. Um, and actually, the fact that Ozias determined on his own that he had a cure for cancer wasn't that abnormal either because this was in the days before um, the federal government funded research clinics. Uh, the National Council excuse me, the National Cancer Institute was founded in the 1930s. But before then, it was up to the individual doctor to do research on their own. And oftentimes, doctors would find these amazing, make these amazing discoveries, and it would take decades for the medical community to accept them. Um, so here's Ozias. He develops this cure, and he markets it on his own. And there was no, really no way of stopping him for a long time. So he had a cure for cancer. Yeah, cure um, with air quotes around it. And it was, uh, it was quite uh, an amazing treatment. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Mr. Ozias's cure? Cure. Um, yeah, well, he developed this on his own when he was ill. He, he claimed to have a breakdown while he was in medical school. And, and eventually a he said two terms, it, it huh? was a tough two terms. <laughs> and he eventually um, decided that he was going to start experimenting with, uh, his, in, he really got involved in research heavily. This is all what he claimed. And as a result of his breakdown and his taxing his body due to research, he developed tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, and he he claims he didn't find a conventional cure for it, so he started experimenting on his own, and um, claims again that he cured himself. Well, from what I can tell, uh, and there aren't that many sources out there about what this uh, serum, this cancer serum, was made of, but one source claims it was glycerin, carbolic acid, and alcohol mixed with tea. Huh. But it wasn't just any kind of tea. The tea was made from watermelon seeds, brown corn silk, and clover leaves. So it's very specific <clears throat> what and the contents tasty. were. Uh, but you didn't taste it. You injected it directly into the affected part of the body. And, uh, Via hypodermic. hypodermic needle. So mm -hmm. he was playing around with um, with hypodermic needles and injections. Yeah, and that's really kind of, that's very scary to It think is very about. scary because we've talked about quack medical equipment before, but a lot of times it's like, a, you know, a placebo pill that you take or you stand in front of a light, something that's not necessarily going to hurt you. But here, this guy's got people injecting themselves with... Carbolic acid? Well, actually, you had to come to the clinic and be injected, see? I mean, it was under controlled situations, and, of course, the clinic charged you for every injection and, and for your stay. Um, so, yeah, it's it still is very scary, but he was part of, I mean, th there were, there seemed to be a lot of, of this kind of activity around the country, especially in the 1920s and 30s, uh, where people claimed to have cures for different things. And so he was kind of part of this movement that saw that, well, radiation and, uh, they didn't have chemotherapy then, I don't think, but radiation and surgery was not curing cancer. So they were trying to find a new way of doing it. And he claimed to have found the cure, and he also invited other physicians to bring their patients to him. He said the first 100 patients he would cure for free. He invited investigation. You know, he was challenging the American Medical Association to find his cure effective. And, and all of this was promoted through radio. Um, he promoted, he, he published promotional pamphlets. He had a journal of better health that he issued on a regular basis in the 1920s. And it was all basically marketing his cure. And if you're somebody who, you know, traditional medicine has 
has said they can't help you, then you're desperate to find some help somewhere, and you really want to believe this guy. Charles Ozias. So Ozias and his daughter, Myrtle, um, they had big plans for their cancer clinic. Uh, What happened to their plans? Well, things looked really good in the 1920s. Um, Through much of that decade, they claimed to have so many patients, they almost had to turn them away. They had to open up new clinic space, and things were booming. Um, Eventually, right around 1930, Ozias' cure, his serum, was purchased by a man out of Iowa who had his own radio station. And so the the serum was being marketed really around the Midwest. A lot of these radio stations had a, a very broad broadcast range. So he was getting people in from all over the Midwest, um, and things looked good. The only problem was, as he was challenging all these people to test the cure and see how effective it was, um, his patients were dying. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's really a, not that's, that's not a, a good thing. No, that's not a good thing at all. Um, we have a, a copy of the Journal of Better Health, which Ozias published in 1925, and it's got all these testimonials in it. And uh, I went through and I identified people's names who were very, they had very distinctive names, you know, not like Smith or Jones, um, and who were claimed to have suffering from cancer because Ozias had other people there who just weren't feeling well or, you know, had female problems or whatever. But I wanted to find people who had cancer and who's who I could trace in the records and I stopped at about five names because every single one of them was gone in the 1930 census or in one case there was a man named Herman Engelhart again the spelling's very distinctive uh, of Missouri who had advanced cancer of the stomach and the testimonial claimed that he was recovering rapidly well he died that same year there are cemetery records that show he was buried the same year the journal was published and smart people caught on pretty fast to the fact that Ozias's cure did not work. And um, what eventually happened around 1930 was um, the Time magazine published an expose on some of the Midwestern quacks that were operating, and they exposed him. Um, also, the man who had been promoting the, ra- the cure over his radio station in Iowa had his license revoked because he was promoting cancer, several different cancer cures, which is interesting when you think about it. Why would you need several different cancer cures? If they cure cancer, one of them would do, but, you know, whatever, <laughs> you, could, whatever you could do to make some money. So a lot of things started to go downhill really fast in the early 1930s. By the 1940s, most of the surrounding states had revoked Ozias' medical license, except for Kansas. Uh, Why did Kansas wait so long? Some of these states that he was licensed in could revoke his license based on their own uh, requirements for licensing. Uh, Ozias was licensed in Missouri, Arkansas, and Kansas. Missouri and Arkansas both revoked his license due to fraudulent claims that were uh, promoted in in printed materials or you know over the airwaves um, to cure chronic or incurable diseases. Very straightforward. Unfortunately, Kansas's requirements for issuing licenses had none of that language in it. In Kansas, you had to be a really, really bad person to have your license revoked. You yeah, you had to have committed a felony 
or what they described as gross immorality, which I don't know. I don't know. I, what I, there's a lot of things I could think of that are gross immorality. Yeah. I don't know what they have to well, do with medical profession. It could be sexual. I don't know. That's the way I think of it. Or you, you'd have to be addicted to alcohol or drugs so much that it impeded your ability to practice medicine. I guess you could be addicted a little a bit. A little bit. <laughs> in Kansas, but not a whole lot. Well, so here's Kansas, and, you know, he doesn't, Ozias fits none of those three requirements for revoking their license. Um, and in our records here, we've, we've got these fi a file on Ozias that's really interesting because the American Medical Association wrote the Kansas Licensing Board saying, are you aware that this man's license has been revoked in these other two states? Have you tried? Or have, do you have any plans to revoke his license? And the Kansas, sec Kansas Board secretary wrote back, we regret that he is licensed in our state, but we've contacted the attorney general and we can't revoke his license based on Kansas law. So Osias retained his license, but by then he was in his early 80s and he was he practiced in Kansas City, Kansas, and he died just a couple of years after this correspondence um, at the age of 82, practicing up until the very end, wow. apparently. Okay, so Osias spent most of his life in Missouri, right, on the Missouri side of that's, Kansas City. That's true. And he re received his first medical license from Missouri. Uh, could that explain the less-than-academic nature of his medical practice? Hmm. Merle, I have a question for you. Do you suppose that every political entity around the world has another adjacent political entity that they just despise? And I'm thinking like Kansas, the political entity despising Missouri. That's a phenomenon. I've heard of that. Yes. Uh -huh. I think it happens the world over. And and. You know, for people who don't know the long past between Kansas and Missouri, it may seem a mystery why Kansans and Missourians hate each other so much, whereas Kansans don't care about Oklahomans, Coloradoans, or Nebraskans. You know, right. you never hear anybody Good complain. Folk. Yeah, I never hear anybody complaining about those. But if you're driving down the highway and, a, and you see a car driving erratically and you see the tag and it's from Missouri, you're laughing, but this is true. <laughs> if you're a Kansan, you're like, oh, well, of course, it's a Missourian driving like a fool. Uh, right. It dates back to uh, ter the territorial era in Kansas when Kansans and Missourians were crossing the borders and just beating each other up, stealing each other's property, and insulting each other in every way possible, physical and verbal. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I like to think, too, that Missouri, yeah, Missouri made a big mistake. And if Missouri hadn't licensed Ozias first, I don't know that Kansas ever would have given a license. I, I don't mm. think so. I don't think Something so. Something to ponder. Although we had our own versions of Ozias. But. Yeah, yeah, we did. But they, Dr. Brinkley, the goat gland doctor, he was from North Carolina. Oh, there you go. All right, Rebecca, well, thanks for telling us about the Ozias Clinic and their sign. My pleasure. A long time ago, we used to be friends, but It's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. And here with me today, as usual, is Rebecca Martin, Assistant Museum Director. Hi. And Nikayla Zimmerman, Assistant Registrar. Hello. Okay, first we're going to go over last week's challenge, the solution to last week's challenge, which was to connect William Allen White to Hills, or Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and, uh, Nikayla, I believe you have figured this out. Yes, I have. Uh, Hillary Clinton got her law degree from Yale Law. 
Um, William Howard Taft, I know, that's a big leap. William Howard Taft was the professor of constitutional law at Yale Law uh, from 1913 to 1921. So not while Hillary was there. He but was really the, he was a professor of constitutional, constitutional law. law at Yale. That's right. Before that's, he was president. That's got to look good on a job resume. Yeah. So William Howard Taft um, was friends with William Allen White. Of course. Of right. course. He was friends with everybody. That's right. And In fact, you, he stayed, didn't he? He stayed at White's house, William Allen White's house, a couple he times. He did. And supposedly slept in the same bed that Teddy Roosevelt slept in while he mm. stayed at the house. Not at the same time. Not at the same time. But Taft weighed how much? 300 pounds. I don't know. Jeez. We've seen that bed. Yeah. Which may be why it's so rickety now. Could be. <laughs> okay. Um, so how many degrees was that? Was that four? Four, yeah. Okay. So if we go back and we use our, we use our measuring system, um, we all agreed that the most likely or the best candidate would be the candidate with the strongest connection to William Allen White. Correct. Um, and right now, leading candidates are Barack Obama. He, he did it in four degrees. Right. And Hillary Clinton, Hillary, Hillary Clinton did it in four degrees. Four degrees. It's a tie. Fred Thompson was six. Five. Five or six. So it's between Barack Obama and Hills. Sorry, so far. Fred. <laughs> Unless a Republican, you know, makes a strong Right. Drive. A Republican <laughs> maverick, a dark horse of sorts. <laughs> Which leads us to next week's challenge. Yeah, coincidentally, next week's challenge is to connect William Allen White to John Sidney McCain III, better known as John McCain. He's currently the senior Republican senator from Arizona. All right. If you have a solution, uh, if you can connect John McCain to William Allen White, just email your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. Thanks, ladies. That concludes episode 38, Cure for Cancer Cocktail. Join us in two weeks when Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and I kick off a two-part series. We'll travel to the home of William Alla White, the small-town newspaper editor that hobnobbed with presidents. We're looking at a set of books from his library. It appears one female author had a crush on this editor, and she left a few saucy inscriptions in her books. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Much like suffocating.